one of my favourite days of the year today? Sundays. No, nobody knows. Sundays? No, not Sundays. Why, Alice? Daylight savings. Daylight savings with gifts. I love it. Oh, so good. Don't come near me when daylight savings ends, right? It's not my happy time of year. But I'm still a bit cold, actually, so if I'm going like this, it's because I'm feeling cold today. Anyway, Mark's happy today too because we sang Waymaker, just to let you know. Everyone's so, happy about that. Everyone's happy. Right. No, I do love that song. All right. So, what have we got up here? Talking about kings and queens. Anybody watch the funeral of the queen? A few people, yes. Yeah, a few people. I don't know if you understood what was going on because there was a lot going on, albeit very slowly. <laughs> But um, I was very thankful that there were commentators because it, there was so much going on and there was all this sort of very strange ritualistic stuff, you know, that they had to walk a certain way and they had the gun trolley and the whatever, you know. And if it hadn't have been for the commentators, then I would not have known what the significance of any of those things were. So. Yeah, I was grateful for commentary at that point in time. But I think it's often the way for us when we read the Bible that we don't understand the significance of what we're reading either. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is helpful to get a little bit of commentary about what's going on culturally at the time. In saying that, I am in no way downplaying the role of the Holy Spirit to bring understanding to the Word as well. So don't get me wrong. But it is very important to, to get some cultural understanding so that we can get a context for what we're reading. Okay. So, I'm going to try and be like the commentators on the TV for the Queen's funeral. And we're going to walk through one story that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. And it's Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Are we ready? Yes. yes. Ready. Great. Feedback's good. Right? Yep. Right? Yep. right? Yes. Talking to each other, not good. None of you would do that. <laughs> All right. I've just got to say, good on you for being here today. It's a long weekend and we lost an hour's sleep yep. and you all turned up on time or a little bit late, but <laughs> pretty good. Good bunch of people, I think. All right. So I've got the, you can read along with me. That's always fun. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I feel like I'm reading a children's story. So <laughs> yeah, all right. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Don't you love this little comment here? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So let's get a little bit more context about that. It's true. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They, I, I can't say whether they hated each other, they maybe do business with each other, but they certainly wouldn't do anything socially with um, each other. So 
From my understanding, the Jews and the Samaritans both worshipped Jehovah, right? We haven't got time to go into what the differences were, but I think it was around their interpretation of what they called the Torah, which is our first five books of our Bible, um, the books of the law, all right? So another thing that we need to have a little look at here too in this first little section is um, that for Jews it was very much looked down upon for men, but particularly men who were sort of noble, like a rabbi would be, to speak with a woman in public. And that even meant speaking to their wife or their sister or their daughter. It's a bit hard for us to imagine that being the case, that that was something that was looked down upon, but it was. All right, something else that was unusual about this story so far is when John said it was about noon. Now, I don't know where, is Paul and Pam here today? Paul and Pam have just recently got back from Israel and Paul was telling me that the temperature got to about 47 degrees in the day. Yikes. Might be a little bit too hot even for me, but... Um, so going to the outskirts of town, probably with a pole and two big jars to pull up some water out of a well, to do that in the middle of the day in that kind of heat, you wouldn't be doing it, would you, unless something was a bit awry. So that's why John was saying it was about noon. So I'm going to give a spoiler alert if anybody's never read this story before. I think probably you all have though. Jesus has a word of knowledge about this woman's life. And it shows us and explains to us a little bit about why she would be coming in the middle of the day instead of at the usual time in the cool of the evening when all the other women would be coming to collect the water. She was basically an outcast, right? So for her to endure the heat would have been a lot better than enduring the scorn of the people in their community. And I don't blame her. Who likes to be around a group of people who are judging you? It's not fun. So that sets the scene for us a little bit, doesn't it? So what have we got? We've got Jesus speaking with a Samaritan who happens to be a woman who happens to be a woman of disrepute and he's doing all of this in public. But do you know what? In the minds of the Jews, even though all of those things aren't great, there was something else that was even more inappropriate in this scenario for them. It was because Jesus was engaging with this woman in a way that he was teaching her, like a rabbi, a rabbi would do with a student and for women that was not allowed yeah. blasphemous terrible isn't it we can't understand that so this gives us a little clue the bible tells us that jesus is the exact representation of god right so whenever we read anything or hear anything about god we have to use Jesus as our lens. We have to use his teaching, we have to look at his life, we have to look at his death, his burial and his resurrection to go, hang on, is what I'm hearing about God here right? 
because we see God's character in Jesus. So we can see here that his interaction with this Samaritan woman of disrepute, he's showing he does hold, he, he doesn't care for social or cultural or even religious rules that would, you know, treat people with disrespect. Wouldn't be showing them the worth and the value that they have. Doesn't mean that he didn't deal with sin, he didn't overlook sin but he certainly didn't sort of follow these rules to make people feel unworthy. All right, so let's continue on with verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? When Jesus started talking about living waters, the woman would have immediately known that he was using a natural illustration to talk about spiritual things, right? And every Jew and every Samaritan would have known two significant things that were starting to, to be, um, well, that they were talking about in this conversation. So the first thing of significance, for the ancient Hebrew, this term living waters was associated with the revelation knowledge that they got from the Torah, you know, those first five books of the Bible or the books of law. And both of the groups would have been familiar with the story behind the well that they were standing at, Jacob's well. And the story goes that Abraham digs a well, and in Genesis it tells us that it's a well with living waters. But do you know what? In most of our English translations, it doesn't use the term living waters, it just says spring water. Anyway, by the way, the Philistines were jealous about this because Abraham was so prosperous. So what did they do? They filled in the well with earth, with dirt and impurities. Now, this is a little tip for you. If you want someone to move along, you don't like them, you cut off their fresh water supply, don't you? So that's what the Philistines did. They, they filled it with impurity. Isaac came along and redug the well, but again, they sealed it over. And finally, Jacob came along and he redug the well. And he gave the land that included the well to his son Joseph. So the significance of this is that the rabbis taught that this story represented something. And it represented the revelation of Torah. So let's I've got some really, really bad graphics up here so you can laugh. I'm in no way thinking that this is great, but it's something to try and get a visual of, okay? So the well represents the source of revelation from God. So when the well is sealed up, the next one, this represents earthly passions, and let's just call it what it is, sin, that keeps a person from understanding and experiencing the revelations of God. Who would have known that? I, I had no idea about this. I've read this story so many times and had no idea of any of this meaning. 
So when Jesus says to her, if you really knew who I was, you would be asking me for living water. So it's at this point that she more or less says, what's so special about you that you can get rid of the sin that stops us from understanding and experiencing God? Are you greater than Jacob, our father? Remember, she's a Samaritan woman. She doesn't like the Jews. So are you better than Jacob, our father? And Jesus answered her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But, any, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what, what's Jesus really saying here? He's saying, you're listening to the teachings of your father, fathers, their interpretations of the revelation that God gave Moses in the books of the law. And so you always have to come back to them for more understanding and instruction. He's talking about relationship. Yeah. He's all about relationship. The water that Jesus was offering would be like a well within her springing up to eternal life. See, the revelation wouldn't be coming from the teachers of the law, but it would be coming from within her directly by the Spirit of God. Now, it's important to understand for both Jew and Samaritan, eternal life, when they heard eternal life and thought about that, they weren't thinking about heaven. For them, it was having a state of peace with God and having a oneness with God. All right, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus was making some pretty big claims at this point and I reckon she was basically saying, well, prove it. Mm. And so he did. Verse 16, he said, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Speak. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors, ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we, worship, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus got to the very heart of the matter personally for this woman, didn't he, about the relationships, the series of relationships that she'd been living in and the sin that she was living in. And these relationships weren't fulfilling. And, and we don't actually have time this morning to go into it, but um, in all the reading I've done, in the original language, it goes on to tell us that Jesus actually pinpoints for her that particularly the man that she's with at the moment is abusive towards her. Can you imagine that? He just read her mail. Her response then to this 
I remember she was Samaritan, is, well, what am I supposed to do about it? How do I get cleansed from sin? I'm a Samaritan. I wouldn't be allowed to go to the temple in Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice for my sins and to worship. See, in the Jewish and the Samaritan's way of thinking, the word worship included the ideas about redemption from sin as well as intimacy with God. So she continued, we do this on this mountain. Us Samaritans worship on the mountain. Are you saying, as a Jewish rabbi, that I don't have to go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice? Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus was saying no longer would anyone have to go to a mountain or to a temple to offer sacrifices in order to experience that atonement for sins, but also intimacy, that worship, intimacy with God. Instead, a true worshipper will be someone who will worship God, have that redemption from sin and intimacy, They'll have it in their spirit and in truth. And that truth is, is the divine instruction directly from God, that relationship. It's not the teaching of the fathers, their interpretation. So what does she say in verse 25? The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? That's such a revelation. This Samaritan woman of disrepute has this Jewish rabbi standing in front of her, talking to her in a public place. And he's led her on this discovery. Bam. I'm the Messiah. And how did he do it? Did he reject her or condemn her for what she was doing in her life? Or what she'd done? No. He acknowledged sin, sure. But he was inviting her into a right relationship with the Father to be cleansed and to be made whole. And I just think this is such a beautiful picture and do you know what? She was the first person that Jesus actually revealed that he was the Messiah to. She was. And from her, she went out and told so many people who came to believe and follow in Jesus. So, whatever you have done, whatever you're living in, Jesus is standing right in front of you saying the same thing. Nobody's out of his reach. He loves us so much. 
And it's a good thing us, for us to remember that when, when we're speaking to people that we want to be a little bit judgmental towards as well. How did Jesus treat them? How does Jesus get them out of that, that sinful, destructive way of life? All right. We need to move on and have a little bit of a look at what this idea about true worship really is. So in the chapter before this story takes place, in John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that we must be born again to even perceive the kingdom of God. And to be born again, you had to be born of water and the spirit. So those who believe in Jesus' sacrifice are born again of, of water and the spirit. All right. Another terrible graphic. Let's put it up. It's just to try and give you a visual. <laughs> that one's not so hard. Three circles, right? There's lots of better graphics out there, but <laughs> we'll go with it. If we understand, and not everybody does agree with this, but if we understand that we are a three-part being, soul, spirit, soul, and body, then we understand that our spirit, which was dead in sin, has now been made alive in Christ, right? Yeah. Yellow, alive, spring, happy, all the rest of that sort of... <laughs> so we are a new creation. Our spirit is now alive and has been made righteous. I can, I can just feel my kids over there laughing at me. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> He's like my kid. Anyway, let's get back to the serious stuff. The, uh, okay, we're a new creation. What's happened in our spirit? It's alive. It's being made righteous. This is where the Holy Spirit dwells. He doesn't leave our spirit. He doesn't come and go. The living water Jesus was talking about is in our spirit. Our spirit has been made perfect forever by Jesus' sacrifice. I'm sitting here in worship this morning. Pat's getting this revelation about, you know, this water. I was having a similar vision. I'm thinking, oh, it's just because I've been looking at living water. <laughs> that, and Joe's talking about resurrection life, choosing to step into it. Oh, my goodness. What's God trying to tell us? Yeah. <laughs> it's in our spirit already. That resurrection life, that living water is in our spirit. That's what it means when it says in the Bible, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in him. Our spirit is in Jesus, right? Yep. So pay attention. Our true identity is in our spirit. This is the in-spirit thing that Jesus is talking about. Now I know people often get confused when we talk about perfection in our lives that this perfection is in our spirit. And often people discount it as being true because they don't see perfection in their everyday life or anybody else's life for that matter. And this is where I'm so glad Jesus talked about the truth because we've got to understand what the truth is and what we do with it. So our soul and our bodies have not been recreated or regenerated or redeemed or any other R word that we can think of that describes it. Instead, our soul and our body continues operating in the way that we've learned to operate by living in this world. Simple as that. The Bible tells us we are to renew our minds 
in order to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. This is in our soulish realm, just as it's been done in our spirit. Okay? So Jesus ultimately is the truth, isn't he? Yep. He pretty much said it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, I'm just picking a few verses here because we, this could take, you know, weeks and weeks of studying all sorts of scripture. So hopefully you'll go off and start to have a look for yourselves. But Jesus prays in John 17 and he says, Make them holy, purify, cleanse them by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. We also know that Jesus is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right, I couldn't get away with not saying what sort of the Greek word for something is, so here it is. The Greek meaning for the word word that was used in both of these instances is logos, which very simply means the reasoning or the logic of God. So we renew our minds to the truth by the truth, which is his word. So when we renew our mind, we're replacing our logic, the world's way of thinking. We replace it for God's logic. So his word says that our identity is hidden in Christ. We are complete and perfect in him. That's his truth. That's his logic and reasoning. Now, I, I've got another verse that I just want to show us, but it's just, it's just one verse that helps us to get a picture of, of who we are made up of. And I believe that it shows us that our heart bridges the gap between our spirit and our soul. So, for the word, have we got the next one? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Who knew our heart had the capacity to think? That's what the Word of God says. So it's the beliefs of our heart in our soul that acts like a valve to release that living water, which is now in our spirit. It's ready to flow out through our heart into our soul and body. Have we got the next terrible slide, right? Terrible, terrible slide. It, it doesn't even look like a valve, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get us to understand the degree to which the beliefs of our heart in our soul line up with the truth of who we are in Jesus in our spirit will determine how much of that living water will be experienced in our soul and our body. So, yellow, remember we're alive. That's the living water. That's where righteousness, peace, joy, all the fruits of the spirit, everything that we need is in our spirit. When, when the thoughts of our heart don't line up, with that recreated self, not much of that yellow gets through. That's living water. Should have had it in blue, shouldn't I, Pat? Little bit gets in, but not much. Right? 
So this is why it's really important for us to renew our mind to the truth of God's word, to worship, to experience the peace that we have with God and the oneness with God, not only in our spirit, but our soul and our body. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. Know the truth is experience the truth. And the truth will set you just a little bit. No, the truth will set you free. So next slide. <laughs> it's really bad. If I could sort of get the animation thing happening, it would be really good. But can you see, as we line up our thoughts with the truth, our natural way of thinking, but, but even more so the beliefs of our heart, which is the very deepest belief that we have, if we can line that up, more of that living water, that resurrection life that Joe was talking about, can flow. And it is fast and furious. Are we getting it? So, you've got to ask yourself a question. If you're not experiencing the freedom that Jesus is talking about in every area of life, and all of us, if we're honest, don't have freedom in every area of our life. Some of us have got more freedom than others in some areas. But we haven't got yellow happening in all three bits of us, have we? This hopefully is a word of encouragement to us all because we can go on this journey with the Holy Spirit in his word. He is our teacher and he'll lead us into all truth. But we can go on a journey of transformation in our soul. And this is what the Bible talks about when it says co-laboring. We're co-laboring with God to enter his rest because we're replacing that natural thinking with his way of thinking. We're allowing our spirit to dominate over our soul and our bodies. We're not going to let our natural emotions tell us how things are or how things have got to be. We're not denying our emotions, but we're choosing, just like Joe said, to yield to the work that's been already done in our spirit. And it is a journey. All right. So where do we go with this? I do want Joe to come up and we'll, what was the last song we just sang? Run to the Father. How wonderful. That's what we're doing. We're running to the Father. We'll be singing that. But I've just given a taste. It's, I feel like I've just raced through a lot here. But, you know, we can all encourage each other on this journey. And Google actually can help us a little bit. Did you know that? Oh, I'll tell you. Why don't I tell you? No, I wasn't going to tell you. I was just going to say Google will help us. No. There's nothing special about Google except at the moment we can we can type into Google and say in Christ realities or in Christ scriptures or in him scriptures. So we don't even have to do the work. If you've got a Bible that's got a concordance in the back or something, in the old days you used to have to look that up and you know go and search for it. 
you can print out a thing that says all of the in Christ scriptures and have it there in front of you. And what you can do is you go to the Holy Spirit and say, what area in my life am I not experiencing the freedom that Jesus paid with his blood for me to experience? And so you read those scriptures and pick one or two, start with one or two, and start to ponder on what the truth is saying of who you are in your spirit so that you can see that living water flowing. I'll give you one example. For me, in my life, I have found powerful, and I know sort of over the years has been one that I've taught the kids, and and they've got testimonies of, of just seeing breakthrough because they've pondered and meditated on this truth. But it's the one about that God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but one of love, of power, and a sound mind or self-control. So when you come to something that it just takes over, you, you just respond in fear, you've got a choice in that moment to go, hang on, who am I? God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but he gave me one of love and of power and a sound mind. My will, which is in my soul, I can try and try and try not to be scared, but there's only so much that I can do of that and then I get weary. But if I yield and acknowledge the truth, and I, and I do that when I'm not in times of big fear too, that's important to know. It's not just saying, you know, learning a scripture and quoting it. It's actually engaging with it meditating on it, thinking about what it would look like in my life if I could see the reality of that in the everyday. And so it's the power of God that flows out and does the work that releases me from fear. It's not my will because I've been able to quote a scripture. Don't be deceived by that sort of thinking that all you have to do is say something Jesus is always talking about the heart level. The heart level. Getting that heart and the beliefs of our heart lined up with what he's done. He is so, so good and he doesn't hold anything back from us. But he's not going to override our will. If we don't want to... Again, like Ali's been saying and what... um, What's your name, Dave? (laughs) Dave's been saying the last couple of weeks, and I've heard people saying, I think it was even Sue this morning was saying to me, you know, it's like God's just impressing on us. We need to take a step. We need to put action to some of this stuff, right? This is what we need to do. This is the nuts and bolts of it. I hope that you want to go on the journey. Because we are going to see so much. It's not just for us. We are really going to benefit from it. From it. But once that living water starts to flow out, it's going to flow out to the people yes. around us. Yep. Because it's, it's God. It's not us. Yep. And he wants to reach everybody. Yep. Yep. He specifically went in the middle of the day to a well to speak to someone who was an outcast. He still wants to go out of his way to speak to everybody. 
and we are actually his hands and his feet on this earth. So we owe it to him, don't we, to get our thinking right. All right, let's stand. Don't walk away from this. Always take the opportunity. If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, do the business with him now. And start to ponder. Tonight, when you've got it, make some time to write down the things that he's talking to you about. Start to ponder on the truth of his word and what it would look like. And I can't wait to see what we're going to see in each other. But we have to also encourage each other in this stuff. Who's excited? Anyone excited? Yeah. yeah. Woohoo, Mark, it's great. Awesome. So take this time. No need to rush, but if you need to go, go. But take this time just to focus on God and hear what his spirit is saying to us. Because what's the other thing in our spirit? He, we have we have complete access to the Father. This is what we're talking about. Spirit doesn't come and go. He's there. He's sealed in. And so each of us can hear his voice. It's just that we don't know how to listen sometimes. All right. I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to hand it over to you, Joe.